Before we get started, I wanted to let you all know that we are doing a giveaway for the Charty app. If you want to check it out, go to our Twitter feed and you'll see the giveaway details there. Good luck. Hey guys, it's Mark. Welcome to Shortcast. If this is your first time joining us, then welcome to the show. If you've listened before, then welcome back. This podcast is one where we talk about series shortcuts, or sometimes we just refer to them as shortcuts. If you have a question for us, you can send us a message on Anchor, a DM on Twitter, a message on our Discord server, or in our category on the Shortcuts Discord server, and we'll get to it in one of the upcoming episodes. We just started our new sponsorship program through Anchor recently, so if you enjoy the show and you want to help us to keep this going, then head on over to our link. I'll put it in the show notes, anchor.fm forward slash shortcasts forward slash support. We really appreciate any feedback that you guys can give us about the show, and we'll take that into consideration for the future of the show. If you have something that you're extra curious about, we can have you join us on a future episode, and we could run through some live discussion and walkthroughs. If you haven't heard, we have an iMessage sticker pack available. I'll put a link to it in the show notes, or you can go search for it in the iMessage app store. Today we're going to cover a topic that we touched on in one of our first episodes, automation, some advanced triggers that you can use through IFTTT, and a little bit about push cut. So we've got Parker with us today on the show. He's pretty active on the subreddit and also in some of the channels on the Discord server. Welcome to the show, Parker. Thank you, Mark. Pleasure to be on here, actually. (laughs) It's nice to get you on. And we really haven't had someone like yourself on before. So it'll be nice to kind of get a voice that people see maybe frequently on some of the other communications online. That always kind of helps me because I help on multiple discords regarding shortcuts and stuff. And I also help on Homebridge subreddit and the Homebridge Discord server. I work a lot with a lot of the uh, Defang integration plugins and stuff. And that's always one that people always have questions with, but people from all over the world have questions about Defang because that's not just a strictly English speaking camera. Oh, I guess. Yeah, that's a good question. I was going to ask you when you mentioned that. So it's, it's just called Fang, the camera is? Uh, well, the, the camera is, it's a make and model of a camera. Uh, Wisecam makes an American version. They basically take a Xiaomi Defang camera body. The, the company just tends to resell them or they license out the hardware to other companies who then sell it at a, at a markup. And usually the cameras are pretty cheap. A Wisecam B2 runs you about 20 to $30. What a lot of people like to do, and this is where I actually have shortcuts that kind of relate to this. A lot of people tend to hack them with a custom modded firmware that they can then use to get cloud independence from services like Wise. Oh, wow. So then when when people do that, are they powering that with a local storage or some sort of storage on their well, their home uh, server or something? I run a Homebridge server on a late 2012 Mac Mini. And I actually have a lot of shortcuts designed to kind of interface with that server because it doesn't have a display. I maybe use VNC to remote in. But with the Fang, I actually do the recording directly on that machine. 
it then copies that media over to a NAS. And then I can use my Plex Media Server to pull the content from that NAS and I can view it as sort of a, a makeshift PVR. It's a lot of services bouncing around to basically get what a PVR would give you. But hey, it's homemade. And I already have one Plex Media Server installation on my network. What's the second one going to do? Wow. Right? That's really interesting. I, I haven't really dealt a whole lot with Homebridge, but can you touch a little bit on, I guess, what Homebridge is and what it kind of does for you? I, You touched on it a little bit there with the media server because you use Plex, yeah. which I love Plex, by the way. Love um, it to death. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, I have a lot of my media on a Plex server at home to try and save on some bandwidth usage because we have a limited internet connection at home yeah. usually. During the coronavirus pandemic we've got going right now, they've thankfully opened everything up to be unlimited for us. But um, Yeah, but you can only do so much like, you know, when you're not in the virus epidemic, you can only do so much streaming, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Homebridge is, the best way I can describe it is actually using the tagline that the Freena, if I'm saying his name right, put on his GitHub for the actual Homebridge project. It's HomeKit support for the impatient. And this kind of ties in a lot with uh, my introduction to shortcuts. Homebridge is effectively a Node.js server that you run on a Mac, Raspberry Pi, PC, or Linux machine in some cases. I run mine on a Mac mini that basically allows you to do other modular plugins that allow you to get support for non-HomeKit-enabled devices. A really popular one that people use Homebridge for is for TP-Link smart plugs and light bulbs because they're really cheap. Mm -hmm. So they do that to get HomeKit support. And why you would want that is so you can automate it a little bit more robustly than maybe something that Alexa would be able to offer you or even Google Home's routines. And HomeKit also offers offline usage for the accessories. And most Homebridge plugins allow for offline use as well. As long as you're connected to the network, you can still use those set accessories completely independent of cloud services. Wow, that's, you said it was TP-Link was the? Yeah, TP-Link is one that people often use Homebridge for. Um, I actually have a few TP-Link accessories and that's what got me into Homebridge specifically. I had a few, uh, in the early days of my smart home, I had a few TP-Link bulbs and a bunch of TP-Link smart plugs you know, you can't get them into HomeKit, but you either have to use the Google Home app that, or you have to use TP-Link Casa's app. I don't want a bazillion apps bogging up all my stuff. So that's where Homebridge comes in. You can get kind of a one app to rule them all. And if you really want to get crazy, you can integrate this stuff into Home Assistant and Node-RED. Like you can get pretty crazy out there if you really want to get serious about it. Yeah, there's some interesting services out there for doing some of this kind of home automation stuff. And it seems like more and more of them pop up every month or two. Yeah, I know what you mean about the the Casa app that TP-Link has, because I've got, I think I have maybe two or three TP-Link smart switches or smart outlets, I guess, rather. They work well, but yeah, you're right. It's it's kind of a pain. They are some of the best plugs, but you can't integrate them with HomeKit. Although they just added shortcut support for the Casa app. I was bumming around in shortcuts the other day. I was looking to see if anything changed. And sure enough, they added shortcut support. No oh, HomeKit wow. support, though. I'll take it where it is. <laughs> so what kind of, I guess, what device or devices do you use the most for creating a lot of your shortcuts and these automations? I, I, obviously, you have an iPhone. I think you're talking yes. to me on it right now. 
But are yes, you using uh, which specific iPhone, I guess, do you have or do you have any iPad that you use as well? So when I started the shortcuts game, it was an iPhone, iPhone, 10, iPhone X. And man, that poor thing's battery could not handle it all. And iPhone X's have an overheating problem. So when I got an iPhone 11 Pro, I was really happy about that because it is a heck of a lot faster for this sort of thing. So I do most of my shortcuts on that, though when my wife feels inclined, she actually lets me use her iPad because just sometimes having it on a, on a bigger iPad screen is nicer. I've even tried playing around with a lot of like desktop clients for that. And in my opinion, I just feel like a lot of them kind of lack in a lot of ways. And sometimes things don't work the way you expect them to. In my use case, a lot of stuff goes through HomeKit. So I tend not to want to use those because you can't get HomeKit integration through websites or on a desktop client. Yeah, that's one of the things that I've found to be a bit of a pain a lot of times. I used to have an iPad mini too. I didn't really do a whole lot of shortcut work on it when it was even usable before. And I recently had revived it from the dead because it was kind of broken <laughs> for a while. So I replaced the screen and got it working and it was great. I was able to release some Shortcuts for iOS 12, because that's where the life for that one ended, was on iOS 12. So I was able to yeah. convert over some of the newer shortcuts for iOS 13 onto iOS 12. And it was great for a lot of the people that have older devices, but now it's broken again. So I can't even support those shortcuts anymore. But having that larger screen, like you said, is huge because it's so difficult sometimes. You can get wrapped up in one if statement or one repeat loop, and you don't even know what way is up or down. I would say it is near impossible for me to do uh, I'm up or let's go without having a bigger screen at this point, because there's just so many actions. Yeah, so I guess with that, we'll let's jump into some of those. I've been in and out of the code on both of them. I think more so on let's go. Both of them are fantastic shortcuts, in my opinion. But can you just touch for the users on what Let's Go and I'm Up both do? Well, the, the inspiration between both these shortcuts is I really wanted something like Cars or Jarvis, mostly Cars because I grew up watching a ton of Star Trek. But basically, like, the, the nerd dream is to have, like, talking computers that give you detailed information up front. So what Let's Go is it looks at your calendar. It can give you ETA, it can give you weather conditions, traffic conditions for your next appointment. It'll start navigating, it'll play audio, and it'll even, depending on how you configure it, it'll even send a message to someone you care about, letting you know that you're on that way to your next appointment. I use it daily, well, before lockdown, I used it daily to let my wife know I was leaving, going to work, heading home. You can trigger it with Siri, but I found it works best with CarPlay or an NFC tag is my use case, actually. I, I put it on a car mount with an NFC tag and I just trigger it that way. That's one of the, the nice parts about CarPlay is that it can trigger automatically, unlike the connect to Bluetooth and a few of the other time-based automations. When um, I originally made it, made it, I wanted it to be location-based actually. So mm -hmm. like my idea was like, if you wanted it to be based on when you left home or left work, you would set the separate automations for that. But just the way that iOS handles automation for shortcuts, is it's a little silly unless you use TrueCuts. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't dove into the TrueCuts game because I'm not a big fan of jailbreaking. The location-based automations sound great in theory, but a lot of people don't realize that 
you have to confirm them before they'll actually run. So that's like you were right. saying the nice it part. Defeats the purpose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> defeats the purpose. To move on to the other one, this is the one I really love. And I use this one daily too. And I thought this one wouldn't be as big of a favorite for me. But I'm up is a morning routine inspired by my Google Homes. I have Google Homes all over my house and I have a HomePod that sits in my office. One of the things I love about the Google Homes is getting that kind of morning briefing. But one of the problems I have with it is it's really hard to get kind of dynamic information. The Google Home looks at like your calendar and gets the information based on that, but it's actually kind of limited as to how the morning routine works. And Siri just plain doesn't have that ability to begin with, right? So I thought I would go about making kind of just the next level. And I noticed when I got my HomePod that no one was making stuff like this for HomePod. I was actually kind of shocked. And I know HomePods aren't really like very popular in terms of smart speakers, but no one was making this kind of thing to kind of explain what it does. You tell it that you're up, it can give you temperature readouts of rooms. So it'll tell you, like in my case, I have it set to give me a temperature readout of the basement. So it just takes all of them, averages it out and says, hey, basement's about this temperature. It will turn on certain home kit accessories if you so choose. It will give you a detailed breakdown of your day, what's coming up next, when you should actually leave the house by to get to that appointment if it can, which I think is really nice. I use that all the time to kind of gauge when I should leave the house for work. It will also give you information about what's going on tomorrow. It's actually a feature I call next day, where the idea is it'll say, hey, tomorrow's garbage day. Do you want me to create a reminder to remind you about it? I actually have a reminder set for me right now for garbage day. It's probably going to go off at about six o'clock, but um, <laughs> I use that feature all the time. And it was one I can't believe I couldn't get in there quick enough. So the idea was to create something that was dynamic based on your day, on your schedule, and your calendar. And if people were like me, I literally live off my calendar on my iPhone. Like everything's plugged in there, doctor's appointments, uh, work appointments, anything I can get in there, I, I put in there. Yeah, for sure. I, I try to do the same as well because it just makes running through your day and your week so much easier when you can see at a glance what's going on. And in your case, with this shortcut, it sounds like it's made things a whole lot easier because you can now just ask your home question or just say, I'm up for the day. And it starts chugging through all this information that you've programmed it to do. You essentially mm -hmm. have your own type of Jarvis, like you were saying, right inside your HomePod. I actually just released an update where it does, it's less talky with menus. So when you come about and it tells you, um, okay, tomorrow is this event. Do you want to be reminded about it? Instead of listing the menu items, yes or no, you can just say yes or no. And you can add like a please and thank you. Because I got that habit from my Google Homes. I've actually made two versions. That's what I like about the HomePod version is the level of interactivity. But I also took it and actually made a version for uh, push cut servers. But effectively, like when you walk into a room, have the airplay system in that room or wherever you want it to tell you, hey, this is what's going on. You can just kind of walk about and do your thing, which is also a delight all the same. So the push cut version is designed to run on an airplay or in my case, aircast system where the Automation looks at devices, uh, will broadcast to a group of speakers and will be triggered based on a motion sensor or whatever you want. You could hook it up to anything. You could hook it up to a time-based automation. You could hook it up to quite literally anything you wanted, provided it's compatible with HomeKit or if this and that or what have you. So that's kind of the real difference is that the IMUP for PushCut doesn't really um, 
give you the interactivity. I mean, unless you want to go up to your PushCut server and tap everything. Yeah, and <laughs> it doesn't sound the most ideal to be stepping, you know, somewhere else in your house just to try and interact with yeah. something that should be acting automatically based on whatever you coded it to do, right? Right, exactly. So the, the two versions are different. I like the HomePod version just because it's a, a little bit more interactive. I like the ability of having conversation with it and it helps get my mind going in the morning because I have to think. And if I don't, I'm just a zombie all day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it process. really helps to get your brain kind of turning along in the morning instead of maybe just trying to throw some coffee in you and get the morning going that way. <laughs> it sounds like you're triggering your brain in different ways. And that does remind me, the one of the key differences between the two versions is that the HomePod version has an optional support for Starbucks, which I've had a bit of a tumultuous relationship with because uh, Starbucks support tends to break every once in a while. I don't know That why. is strange. Yeah, because I know you've got that tied in with I'm up to kind of get yourself a coffee ordered in the morning, right? Yeah, basically. Like, or just whatever drink you want. I use that on weekends mostly, although everything's kind of closed right now. You can always say no, but for whatever reason, Starbucks, they're just a little weird with their shortcut support. Works great on the iPhone, but if you try to do it on the HomePod, sometimes it works and sometimes That's it doesn't. That's interesting. Yeah. It, it's funny how some of those integrations work for a little while and they don't have any problems. And then out of nowhere, you run into an issue and something doesn't work right. And then it just starts working again on its own. Yeah. That's basically all you can hope for. The good news is you don't have to say yes, and it's easy to disable that feature pretty quickly. So if you don't want to use it, or heck, I've actually heard from a couple people that they swapped it out for another application to order coffee in the morning because they like the store better. I've heard of that one also oh, being wow. done. Okay, that's. And I placed it really conveniently at the bottom, so it was easy to kind of get in there and change it out if you wanted to, because not everyone wants to go to Starbucks <laughs> if that's okay. I don't. I don't have a lot in my area, so. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I know when when you were mentioning that to me before, when I think, I don't know if you had released I'm Up at that point. I, it was back, I think it was back when I yeah. first started it. Like that was the idea. Yeah, and I remember when you mentioned that, you said, oh, I think I might try to tie in some Starbucks actions. And I was like, what? <laughs> but it's a nice feature <laughs> to have, like you were saying, because you may not really think about it, but once you start using it, it's really nice to have your smart speaker or have your iPhone order you a coffee or whatever type of drink you want in the morning instead of you having to go and do yeah. that manually. So those are the two shortcuts that I kind of have as kind of my big projects that I work on. And I actively work on those all the time, working on working on little things to improve those. And uh, touching back on Let's Go, I know before didn't you have there was another shortcut that tied in with Let's Go. So the the shortcut I've had a couple of things that tied in with Let's Go. Originally, Let's Go kind of had two versions. One was a version that sent text messages, and the other one was kind of version that went without in case you wanted to be that person that didn't have that kind of functionality. There's a sister shortcut to both of those called I'm Safe, which effectively just kind of does the same as Let's Go except in reverse, where it will look at your calendar, determine if you're at that same location, and then send that person that message saying, hey, you're safe. Yeah, which can be a nice trigger, which, like you're saying, if you're trying to let your significant other know that you arrived at where you were supposed to be going. It's not one I think most people as much care about, but it's one that I kind of made because, I don't know, I just felt like making 
a sister shortcut to go with it that's not always necessary and you can't exactly tie it into the same shortcut necessarily but having it kind of as a separate entity was always nice a little bit of improvement here or there can be done with it yeah definitely it's interesting to see some of the the ideas that some people come up with and some of the different ways that they try and do those things like you were saying before about the location-based automations not really meeting the needs of anybody really but having to confirm that every time it's not ideal so i know there's there's some workarounds where people will trigger it on something else like you were saying you're using an nfc tag i've come up with a couple things where you trigger an automation and then your shortcut actually does the location-based verification to see if you're actually at home or if you're at work or wherever maybe you need to have it check your location but it's a pain to have that as a workaround yeah yeah it's a pain and that is my hope for ios 14 is true automation of shortcuts because man i want to be able to send my b-movie spam shortcut <laughs> to someone when i arrive at someone's house man that's all i want <laughs> yeah it's it's one of the yeah. things that i think in my head anyways that Apple will improve in iOS 14, but we won't really know that for uh, what, maybe the next month and a half or so. Hopefully they'll announce something at WWDC, but I guess we'll find out. Yeah, we usually find out some kind of iOS information at WWDC because they want to get everyone prepped up for it. My dad attends WWDC whenever he can. Oh, wow, that's great. One of those crazy people. So uh, we touched a little bit on it, but what, I guess, what kind of background and, and what got you started in shortcuts in general? I know you, you like the automation idea. Yeah. So I guess um, well, what I do in my everyday life is I'm a videographer. I'm a video editor by trade. I edit, I create content. That is kind of where my background is. Where I get into the shortcuts and automation stuff is when I was younger, my dad was a CTO with Linspire, which is a which was a company that was making a Debian-based Linux distribution. And so he was very technology-minded. His earliest platforms he worked on as a software developer were IBM OS2, Palm OS, specifically Palm OS2. He kind of did a lot of that. So growing up, I was really around a lot of computers, a lot of IBM machines. And we even have Macs hanging around. In fact, I got my old Mac cube from the early 2000s. It's actually sitting in my office uh, pretty close by. I like to keep that on display. <laughs> my family is a bunch of software developer kind of people. And I picked up a lot of like scripting and stuff like that. And so where I got really started in this whole automation game was AppleScript. I love AppleScript. Where Shortcuts comes into play was in iOS 12. They kind of announced this was going on. I, I picked it up. I played with it for a little bit. But um, when the beta came around, the Shortcuts app wasn't really in existence. So it was a lot of like, do an action, then add it to Siri in the settings. And then when the Shortcuts app came around, I played with it around a little bit, but the application was in the early days slow. And so I admittedly put it down for a while and then really was kind of disappointed when they didn't offer any kind of HomeKit integration into the iOS 12 version. Not till very much later. It wasn't until uh, iOS 13 that I really started to pick it up. My big thing with Shortcuts was making my home smarter and that includes being able to interface with my home kit setup. Yeah, it's kind of difficult to get the sort of outcome that you want with your, you know, smart devices 
when you get this thing like shortcuts in front of you and it seems like you have an answer to what you might be able to do inside your home with a lot of these smart switches and outlets and different things that you have integrated inside of your Apple ecosystem, which is HomeKit, but then you find out you can't do it. And so now you're having to try to either figure something else out or wait until Apple does something, which seems like iOS 13 was kind of an answer, but you're, there's still more to do, which like you were saying, the yes, HomeBridge kind of helps. Uh, HomeBridge really helps with a lot of stuff in relation to that. I actually have a number of shortcuts that I've designed actually to interface directly with my HomeBridge server. I created one a while ago and put it on the HomeBridge subreddit. That's I actually have two. It's a HomeBridge tool, which is just a GUI-based type deal where you can just do things like reset the service, reboot the server, check if it's running, stuff like that. But the real pride and joy was making one that was completely operable by voice and through the HomePod. Because I always found myself like my phone's in the other room, but my HomePod's next to me. Can I check to see if HomeBridge is running or or things like that? And that's something that I found Shortcuts has actually been really, really good for. Adding a lot of functionality that way, interfacing with devices on your network that probably don't have any other way to interface outside of physically accessing them on some kind of machine, either SSH or directly under the device itself. Oh, wow. That's an interesting. So you're able to trigger these shortcuts on your HomePod and have it present you with, with some sort of result by audio, right? Basically the way it works, you, you tell it to run the shortcut and then it'll ask, what do you want to do? And I can say, can you check the status of HomeBridge, please? And it'll go, okay, let's check the status. And then it pings the web UI I have for HomeBridge, which is done with a plugin called Config UIX. And it just checks to see if that is active because if HomeBridge isn't running, that's not up at the same time in my case, and it'll come back with a result of, hey, this has a value. And I'll say, yep, looks like your HomeBridge instance is running. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to do? And it, it'll constantly loop until you tell it, I don't want it to do anything else. And you can do all sorts of stuff. You can check the status if it's connected to the actual internet. So in my case, my server doubles as a Plex Media server. It also needs to have a constant internet connection. If I'm seeing something's not working with a few of those accessories, like I'm getting a no response, I can say, check the server's network connectivity. And it'll say, hey, the router wasn't able to ping it. What would you like to do? That's interesting. So I guess when you put some of these things together, if you're trying to code the, these kind of like smart operations that, that are happening where you can reply via your voice and say something like, no, I, I'm done asking you questions for now. How does that look in shortcuts then? Because I, I know that there's a lot of if this contains this or if this equals this statements that are required, right? Mm -hmm. It's a lot of heavy use of if statements and ask for input because the way that Siri works, at least on HomePod or even on the iPhone, asking for input is a better way to get text input than to create a text item and then do ask for input there. By using an ask for input item, you can have it basically be whatever you want and you can have it ask the question. So you could write the question as, what would you like to do? And then what will happen is the HomePod will say, what would you like to do? Then wait for input. And it'll be the same on the Apple Watch. It'll be the same on the iPhone. It'll be the same on the HomePod. And maybe if macOS gets shortcut support, it'll be even be the same there. But you, you have it take that input. And then you use a bunch of if statements. So if this input contains one of the trigger words that you always use. So in the case of restarting the HomeBridge service, right? Because it's a service you have to restart sometimes because something breaks. You can say restart the service and or restart the HomeBridge service or something like that. But the keyword is always restart. Oh. 
And for rebooting the server, the keyword is always reboot or something like that. Or you can add a couple of different if statements for different words you might find yourself using it instead. But in my case, I found that I was always using kind of the same words and I just use a bunch of if statements to run that. And then at the end of the shortcut, you have an ask for input, which then takes the input, throws it into a run shortcut action, which just repeats the shortcut again. But this time it skips over the initial asking for input and just takes what you told it to do before it ran the shortcut again. And it will just do that and just kind of do that on end. And then if you want to not have anything happen, the trigger is NO. It just looks for no in the uh, input and it just will say, okay, see oh, you for now. Okay, well, yeah, that definitely makes sense. I was wondering about that because I know there's a few different ways that you can get that ask for input action to kind of ask you a question on what you want to put in there. You can either use like an ask every time or use a, a dictate text action. So what, what kind of actions, I guess, are you using to populate that field when there is an ask for input? Or is, is there no other item that you need to put in there? It's literally just an ask for input action. And that is the only input you need, really. You just take that and then you, you can assign it to a variable if you really want to, but you can take that ask for input. In the Homebridge one, it literally just assigns it to a variable called the command. You don't need to put it into a text item. You don't need to put it into like a number or anything like that. It'll just kind of take that input where it is. And okay. Yeah, that through. makes sense. I, I have a shortcut that I was using for a little while. I haven't used it recently because I haven't been driving much, but so I created a shortcut that can kind of log the location and then it would ask me if I had any notes that I needed to add about that specific location. And I was really confused because it worked fine on my phone because I had an ask for input and I also had a dictate text action that was feeding into that. Yeah, I wouldn't do a dictate. If you're using it via Siri. Yeah, I so I found that out and, and I realized just by trial and error and now that you've also confirmed it for me, when it's amazing because the OS is smart enough to realize that it needs to prompt you for that information. I had an, a dictate text that was saying, what's the issue that you want to note? And then right after that was the ask for input. And it would then say, what text do you want to enter in or something of that nature? So I was like, why is it prompting me twice? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Dictate actions in iOS 13 have been a little goofy. I can't get them to work consistently, no matter what I do. So yeah, it's, it's interesting, some of the different ways to use those actions. And you were probably involved with this one a little bit, but I actually created a sort of driving shortcut specifically to use a Siri, the Siri speed limit tool, which all came about because I was really frustrated that I couldn't ask Siri what the speed limit on the car oh, road yeah, was. Oh, yeah, yeah. You showed me that one uh, recently. Because, like, I, I probably don't use that when I'm driving to work where I'm getting the mapping navigation and stuff like that. But if I'm driving to, say, the grocery store and I need to know what the speed limit of the road is, it's pretty snappy. It'll just say, hey, speed limit on this road is this speed. And it's totally pointless to update it now because we're all under lockdown. But I actually updated it the other day to actually give a, based on edit that you had made, uh, to actually give the name of the street that you're on. Oh, too. yeah, that's pretty nice. So it'll say the speed limit on Constitution Boulevard is 45 miles an hour. Yeah, that's good. So does it ever get confused when, say, you're at an intersection or not on a specific road? 
So that's the tricky part with this, because the way the overpass API works is you have to give it kind of a, a radius. And I set the radius to a number 15, which my understanding is that's meters. I would um, guess so, I could be yeah. wrong on that, though. Maybe someone will correct me. When, when you go less than that radius of 15, I've noticed that it tends to just return a zero result, meaning it can't find anything. And so the way the shortcut will handle it is say, I wasn't unable to find a speed limit on this road. But if you make it more than 15, I think the highest I can get it to is about 25. But if you make it any higher than that, it starts to pick up other roads that you're nearby, especially if you have like a lot of really small roads tightly packed together. It will sometimes get the wrong road or it'll have two results where it'll say like this road and this road, which we totally don't want. I find that at intersections, sometimes it returns a zero result. But for the most part, it seems pretty accurate. It's a good shortcut to have, like you said, if you're driving somewhere and you don't necessarily need your mapping app going. That's really good. A lot of my shortcuts come from a place of, I want a computer to talk to me and I want things to be smarter than they currently are, is okay. basically yeah, where I'm at with that. that definitely makes sense. We touched a little bit on what kind of things you, you'd like to see coming in maybe iOS 14 or even just a shortcuts update, but are, are there some, some future ideas or some visions that you would like to see in shortcuts aside from the better or more true automations? Yeah, I mean, true automations is kind of the big one. I would also like, this is going to sound so wacky, I would like HomeKit options in shortcuts to let me see the battery levels of devices. And it sounds totally stupid that I would want that, but my use case is I have a Roomba that I hooked up via HomeBridge. And one of the things the plugin for the Roomba allows me to get is a battery status, which, you know, if I'm checking the HomeKit app to see if the device is charged, I can do it there. But it would be nice to be able to you know, be able to get more detailed information about the charging status and the battery level of the device in shortcuts. For example, with the Google Home and the Roomba, you can ask it what the Roomba is doing. And it'll tell you if it's vacuuming, it'll tell you what room it's vacuuming in, it'll tell you if it's docked or not. It can do that kind of stuff. And with the HomeBridge plugin that I use for the Roomba, it tells you the charging status and the battery level. So I would like to be able to make a shortcut that looks at those and they can give me feedback based on that. Because right now, HomeKit and HomeKit support and shortcuts doesn't actually Yeah, that would be a, that. a great addition, um, actually. And at, I never really the... thought about it before because I, I only have, I have a couple security cameras at home. And I only have one right now, anyways, that, that's battery powered. And the batteries last a ridiculous long time. But I know more and more of these remote cameras that are battery powered that you can kind of stick anywhere are starting to pop up. And the good news is that Siri through HomeKit can actually give you that feedback, right? So I can say to Siri, what's the battery level on my Roomba? And she'll give me a number. She'll say it's charged to 96%. She'll say stuff like that. So my logic I'd like to do is I like to say, what's my Roomba doing? And then it can look and see if it's charged or not, if it's charging or not. Say, hey, it looks like it's out and about doing something. And I could have a look at the state of the switch. Is the switch on or off? And it could tell me it's cleaning, it's not cleaning, but heading home, it's charging, and it's charged at this percent. Would be nice to have something more dynamic that way than just asking Siri each of those questions off and on individually. Just yeah, have something definitely. a little bit more dynamic that way. And so I guess then tying into that, what kind of things are you seeing, or I guess more or less, what kind of things are you not seeing from other members of the community that you think w would be a great addition to 
some of the shortcuts that are being published, but some extra features maybe that could be thrown in or certain areas in the iOS system or inside of shortcuts that maybe don't have a lot of exposure? So I recently kind of went and underdid a renovation time up. And the renovation was to make it accessible to, to people who are deaf, right? Because the idea was there's not a lot of people making efforts to make things accessible within shortcuts. I mean, and that's just kind of the nature of design, right? You design for what you think you're, or how you would use it is the way a lot of people design shortcuts. When I set out to kind of renovate I'm Up, my idea was to make it so it has a silent mode. So if people maybe aren't able to speak to Siri, or don't understand what the benefit of a smart speaker or this kind of thing is, that they can still enjoy that kind of morning routine in sort of a silent capacity. And the idea came from my wife, actually. My wife is a is an ASL interpreter. And we had this conversation the other day about humane design and uh, software and applications. And one of the things my wife told me is that people who are deaf do not understand virtual assistants whatsoever. It makes no sense to them. And it occurred to me that, of course, they wouldn't get it because the, the virtual assistant has no ability to understand sign language, but a virtual assistant can understand text that's typed to it. And moreover, deaf people can read text that's typed to them. And so when I came about in redesigning I'm Up, the idea was I would like it to be able to speak to people who maybe want the audio feedback, but I also want the ability for people to read it. And this doesn't just help people who maybe can't speak, but maybe those who are in a situation where they might need it to be quiet in the morning, so they just tap the button and get the feedback there. It's more flexible that way. And I'd like to see more of an effort for what I call humane design, an effort to make things more usable to people who are different in all sorts of different ways that we can maybe hopefully close those gaps yeah, and that, maybe bridge the That's a really a great point. And I definitely agree that there's probably not a lot of consideration for that kind of thing because most people are just kind of considering their own need because that's what stemmed your idea to create whatever they're currently making. When you design that way, it actually becomes really natural for you after a while. You start thinking, well, wait, if this person is going to come about and use this, do I right. need to change this to make it make a little bit more sense? That was my kind of approach. And that's something I would like to see more with shortcuts. I'd like to see more people take advantage of the HomePod. And I know there's not a lot of people using it. I mean, on the HomePod subreddit, I see probably daily people asking for features to be kind of added to the HomePod. And I see some of them like, some of these features are features you can actually do yourself with shortcuts, like uh, morning routines. That's what I see on there frequently. And that might be why my I'm up shortcut on routine hub has like a bazillion downloads yeah. compared to let's go. Because <laughs> I just sit there and I go, here you go, you can try this out. It basically does all that. Basically, people don't really know that shortcuts work on the HomePod, let alone don't know that a lot of shortcuts can be really easily adapted for HomePod in a way that makes a lot of sense. I would like to see more people take advantage of that, you know, because maybe the HomePod isn't the most popular thing, but if it works for HomePod, it works for Siri, right? Like, yeah, that's, kind that's of pretty trade nice. Interchangeably. I, I didn't, before you started mentioning about the HomePod integration, I, I didn't even really realize that you could, like you were saying, I didn't know that the shortcuts can run on HomePod or even if they could, what kind of things that they could and could not do. The good thing is, if a HomePod can't run the entire shortcut, it actually runs it on your iPhone directly. But if it can't do everything on the HomePod, like some actions, like if I have a network tool that loads fast.com for a speed test, it will just throw you back oh, to your iPhone okay. to finish up the shortcut. 
that that's the good thing is that you can actually throw things back like that. So like my network tool actually has an SSH option. Thing is, you can't do the SSH on the HomePod, so I throw it back to the iPhone. Yeah, it's that interesting how some shortcuts are needing that extra little interaction that you can't really do from certain situations. Because we talk a lot right. with shortcuts about making them app-like, easy to use, easy to set up, all-in-one type experiences, you know. But that also goes to accessibility, right? You know, make make Definitely. that make the jump. So I guess with that, then Parker. Do you have anything else that you'd like to mention before we close out the episode? And also, how can some of the listeners reach out to you if they have any questions for you directly or maybe just want to see some of your content? So if you'd like to reach out to me, Reddit user u slash parkthecar1 or Twitter at parkthecar. <laughs> Every other letter capitalized starting with P. That's easy enough. And that's how you can reach out to me. Uh, I am very active on Discord and the subreddit as well. So you should be able Excellent. to find me there every well, once in a while. Thanks a lot, Parker, for sitting down and talking today to go through a lot of these things. I think it'll be an enlightening episode for a lot of the listeners. And I know it definitely was for me as well. All right, guys, that's it for our episode with Parker Welch. It was a great discussion with him. I learned quite a bit myself, and I know that he will definitely help you out if you have any questions regarding the home bridge setup or any sort of home automation topics. We don't really know what our next episodes are going to bring just yet or what order they're going to fall in. So if you have any questions or ideas, send us a message and we'll check it out. We'll see you for the next episode. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out.